Hello, and welcome to What is Wrong with Hiring, the podcast where we talk about why hiring people and getting hired are somehow both absolute nightmares. I'm your host, Laura Klein. Please be advised that this podcast may contain drinking, swearing, and screaming into the abyss, so pretty much like most podcasts. Uh, My guest today is Sarah Milstein. She is the VP of Engineering at Daily, and um, Daily is currently hiring. I just like to throw that in for everybody who's listening. Um, They're hiring in marketing and sales and some in engineering, so you might actually get to work for one of my very favorite people in the world, Sarah. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me. Laura, hi. So good to be here. It's so good to talk to you. Um, Let's talk today about you. You wrote a really interesting blog post that I read, which is so often how our conversations start, I think. (laughs) You say something smart in public and I'm like, I want to talk about that. Um, But uh, you wrote about- I think of it as the other way around. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know. (laughs) <laughs> a little mutual fan society here. But you wrote a great blog post about how smaller companies can compete with uh, what we used to call fangs. I think we're not, I like, I like this better. We're not calling mangas. Um, so, you know, with, with your, with your metas, your, your Amazons, your Netflix. Um, and uh, I think this is something that a lot of us at companies that don't maybe have a brand. I mean, I've, I've worked at startups for 8 million years. Um, if you don't have that brand or you don't have that budget, right? How do we, how do we do it? How do we attract all of these people who are being courted by everyone? Yeah, right. So it often feels hard, particularly because the manga companies pay so much and Mm -hmm. all the brand name tech companies really do. And since pay is obviously a huge factor in candidates' decisions, it can feel like we have no options. But I have now worked for a number of organizations that were not in that sort of top tier of tech companies, not particularly um, well-known and didn't have huge budgets. In fact, sometimes very small um, salaries relatively. And we've always been able to hire. And part of what I've learned from that is a Pay isn't the only thing that people care about. <laughs> there are other things that are super important to candidates that you can stress. Um, yeah. So at, at like the very highest level, it's just important to know pay isn't the only thing. I mean, we can talk about some of the things that do matter <laughs> as well. <laughs> well, and, and it's not, and I, I don't want to be very clear. Like I agree with that a hundred percent having taken jobs for much less than I could get other places. Pay does matter. And I always, I always like to say, sometimes saying pay isn't the only thing can turn into, you should work, come and work for me for free for really hard because of our mission. And yeah, no, like also pay is important and that's, that's fine. That's great. And for some people, it's more important than others even. Right. Totally. No, I think it's a great call. I mean, one, yeah, the the point here isn't to be exploitative. Right. And two, like some people are optimizing for pay. A, a huge number of people, maybe even like the biggest percentage of people are going to optimize for pay. So those might not be people who are your like target candidates. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I optimize for the fact that um, I'm basically a chaos agent and um, <laughs> get very bored easily. So that... Um, that sometimes leads me in different directions than the place that will pay me the most. Uh, so exactly that. Yeah, you've nailed it. <laughs> I, I, I bet you have better you have better ways of doing that than just finding somebody who's like, well, I can't hack it in big companies because lots of people can and they choose not to. 
Yeah, well, no, I mean, actually, the reason I said, I think, like, you kind of nailed it in a way is that lots of people know that they don't want to work in particular kinds of environments. They might not, like, they have had the experience of working at a big company or can see what that would be like, and it's not appealing, or they don't want to be associated with a brand that is kind of bigger than they are, um, or they like to be able to... Um, to be a chaos agent of a certain kind, <laughs> to have a certain role in a company that doesn't really exist or play well in um, particular environments. So that I think is actually super relevant. Yeah, it's well, it's interesting. You know, you, you said they don't want to be involved with a brand that's bigger than they are. I would say that there's also the issue that sometimes they don't want to be um, involved with a particular brand. I know that that has also been somewhat limiting mm. for me um, in my career when I'm like, yep, yeah, no, it wouldn't work for them. Um, <laughs> 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And I think that list of companies is probably getting bigger every day. Yeah, sure is. Anyway, um, <laughs> well, I think everybody honestly should have that list of companies. Like maybe it's one, maybe it's literally one company and I don't really care what it is for. I mean, I care deeply what it is for folks and I would like it to all be the same ones, but it isn't. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I think that there's, you should know what you're willing to do for that amount of money. And, you know, that's, that, that is a big part of it. Yeah, right. So like, you, one of the things that often draws people is mission. And we don't want as you say, we don't want to exploit people because they're <laughs> right. just like, cool, I love this mission. I'll, you know, I'll pay you to work for you. But also, companies might have missions that you don't believe in, or they might pursue them in ways that you think are like, they're not good citizens in the world. And that's important to know. As a, as a person seeking a job and also as a hiring manager, you should be clear about what are the values of your company so you're attracting the people who are going to um, resonate with you. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, being clear and honest about those things. And also I think about the, um, not just like you say, the mission, but how you go about achieving that mission is important. I don't really want somebody who's going to come in in six months from now go, eh. This isn't this isn't right. This isn't what I was promised. This isn't what I you know. I've I've talked to some other folks on the the podcast about just like actually paying off those promises that you make during <laughs> during hiring. Um, it's interesting though to sort of think about what promises are you making to people when you're hiring and what differences that make when hiring them. Yeah, right. That's it's so important. Like I think interestingly the hiring conversations that I have that go the best are the ones where I'm able to be really honest with people about what I think is going well at the company and the kind of environment that we have and the way we're pursuing and what I think is not going great. And that kind of honesty is something people usually really appreciate and is a good reflection of me as a leader. So if they're coming to work for me, that's something that, that might resonate with them. But also it's a chance to like peel back the curtain a little bit and say, this is really what you might be signing up for. So there'll be some good things, but it's a company. So there'll be some bad things. Mm -hmm. Like it's a group of humans. There are some problems. <laughs> and, you know, people who, especially folks who are more experienced will have seen some of those movies before <laughs> and will know what they're comfortable signing up for, what kinds of problems they can accept or work with or change and what kinds of things they would find intolerable. A million years ago when, when I dated, um, so <laughs> the, the 90s, um, yeah, we, we, I came up with this concept of compatible flaws. Um, and what you're actually looking for in people 
is compatible flaws. So what's a deal breaker for you might be something that I find to be a pleasant quirk. Yeah. <laughs> At least <laughs> right. that's, that's literally the only way I ever got any dates. <laughs> that worked out for you though. Yeah, so it worked, worked, worked out, worked out great. Not, not complaining at all. I'm just saying like, you gotta like what, if you are open and honest about the thing that you might think is not great or somebody else might think is not great. Maybe somebody's like, Oh no, that's, um, that's, I, that's a compatible flaw. Like I, I, I don't mind environments mm-hmm. like that or, or I know how to work in those or I know how to change them. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. And I, I think, when you can be honest about that stuff, people can see like you're realistic about what work is going to be like. There's always trade-offs. There's no perfect place for anybody. And so, you know, when people find jobs that they like or can tolerate or love, whatever the spectrum is for you, it's always with something that you wish were different. Um, So being able to tell people that as part of the hiring process is often um, actually a big win. Yeah. Yeah, that's that is huge. What else? What else do you do? So, tell me a little bit about sort of like the the just the general principles of you know competing with these folks who can outspend you sometimes by quite a bit. Yeah. So um, one thing is we can talk about a few things, but one thing is starting with comp. It is really good to have a comp strategy. What is it that your company? How does your company approach comp? Um, and to be public about that if you can be, so that you are um, filtering out people who are already like, you know what, I, that's not a, either like a salary range that's going to work for me, or it's not a way that they handle promotions or leveling or whatever it might be. Like filter out those people. And if you can talk about what your strategy is and why, and your values are reflected in that, then you'll also draw people who are compatible with your values. And I, I, I've said that a couple of times, you kind of like the idea of, values fit, I think is important. We think about culture add, you want somebody who's adding to your culture and expanding it. But usually you want people who are a values fit. Mm-hmm. And when you can express that through your, um, through your comp, which is always a reflection of values at some level. Uh, and you can talk about even as a company, what some of the benefits and trade offs are of the path you've chosen, that can go a long way toward helping you helping the right people find you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting when you talk about sort of the right people, sometimes it's, it's the right people at the right time in their career too. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right. Like a very interesting thing is that people may have just come from a big company and are looking for a big change. They want to be in a smaller company or they want to have kind of a portfolio of, um, places where they've taken risk. So they've got some like equity in a bunch of different companies. There's a lot of ways that people think about where they are in the career. It's not always just a linear, like, well, I went from smaller to bigger or um, lower pay to higher pay. Yeah. It's not, it's yeah. I, it is interesting. I sometimes I'll look at resumes and it really will be like somebody has just bounced around, you know, you know, a few years at, at, you know, meta a few years at Amazon, a few, they'll, they will just have sort of hit all the big ones. Other times, it's sort of, I, I would say it's sort of more interesting. Like people go places where they can learn a new thing or they feel like they could maybe, you know, expand in a particular area. You, you do very different jobs at the different kinds of companies. And uh, 
that matters a lot sometimes to get kind of a mix for some, again, for some people, some people, so no, no shade, like no, I, I am not complaining about these folks at all. If what matters to you is the number of zeros on your paycheck, that is fine. Like, yeah, you go, <laughs> knock, right, yourself, right, right. knock yourself out. Like that's, that's fantastic. Um, it's good to know what you like, but there are also other things that lots of other people do take into consideration. Um, and I'm sort of curious what all, yeah. what all of them are. So that <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you, you touched on one in there, which is sometimes people really are looking for the opportunity to grow. That's often the case. And sometimes you get that in big companies, but typically in big companies, you have narrow and narrower roles. You can often move around. So if you want to grow by changing jobs within a company, bigger companies are better for that. But in smaller companies, you get more responsibility and often more authority and le- like lower politics. So there's other more technical or product kinds of problem solving that you can do. And for a lot of people, that's a huge draw. Um, almost everybody wants to learn and grow. I don't want to suggest that people who are pursuing big companies don't, but there's different no, modes for that. Yeah. Yeah. You're there's learning different, modes, different stuff. Kind, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And sometimes at a different rate. And mm-hmm. that I think is something that smaller companies, um, that's one of the things that can be a real advantage um, if you're able to talk about that genuinely. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Um, I, you know, I hire mostly designers instead of engineers, but uh, it's always interesting because if you're talking to somebody who's been, you know, mostly agencies or mostly in-house at large companies mm-hmm. or mostly startups, um, they can have just wildly different approaches to sort of even the whole concept of design. And uh, I often really enjoy working with folks who've got a range of those who've done a, you know, two or three of those, or even worked in some other area, you know, people, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm biased toward ex engineers, um, recovering <laughs> engineers as it were, um, you know, cause I think that they bring a really interesting perspective to it. Um, but, uh, it, I think startups kind of, or smaller companies often will let you do that, right? They're not looking, you know, they're looking for somebody who maybe has the ability to do many things. Yeah, right. Typically, um, they need people who are a little more polymathic, can do more stuff, can fill more roles, and can be flexible as the company grows and changes. Um, you know, they look for people who can grow and change with the company. Yeah, yeah. What what specifically has worked for you, and, and maybe what what hasn't worked for you in in attracting folks? Yeah. Well, I think we've talked about two of the the main things is having a salary strategy, like mm-hmm. a comp strategy that is public, that is like well thought through, um, being able to talk genuinely about what, what the opportunities are to grow or learn within any organization and with what some of the downsides are of the organization. And then we also haven't talked about this, but people tend to care a lot about culture mm-hmm. and being able to be pretty explicit with examples of what some of the strengths and weaknesses of a culture are, that's been that has been successful for me as well. So those sort of three things is how I think about it. Um, yeah. What What are the kinds of cultural? Because like the culture, I think at a company can feel so weird because it can be anything from you know uh, what I've heard about Amazon, and I've never worked there, so correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. But a lot of lot of teams on Amazon very competitive, very driven people crying at their desks. I don't know if that's true. Those are the stories that you hear. And so 
you know, if I if you're not the kind of person who wants to cry at their desk, I mean, maybe someplace a little kinder. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's right. and that's a culture thing, but there's lots of things that fit under that that culture banner, I think. Yeah. So Sorry, I'm going to pause for a sec. There have been so many sirens. Is that coming through? And do we need to pause when that happens? It's fine. I'm, I'm just going to tell everybody on the podcast that you're running from the law. And that there you're you running this in from a... I mean, sorry, sorry, folks. Sarah is actually currently in a police chase. And, uh, and I'm on the lam. She's on yeah. the lam. So yeah, it's, it's fine. By the time this releases, I'm sure it'll, it'll have all worked out. <laughs> I'll be in Canada. It'll be fine. Um norway um okay yeah sorry about this uh new york um yeah so so what is culture (laughs) or how do we use it in um hiring people i think uh, certainly a lot of it is how do people treat each other and what do we do to reinforce that and i think that it's one thing to say we have a kind culture and another thing to be able to say here are some of the structural things that we've done that support the culture that we want and that for me being able to be intentional and in saying either here's what we have done as a company here's what i do on my team um that makes a big difference so for example at daily where i am now We've tried a couple of these things. When I first joined, um, there were 25 engineers in the company and, and um, 25 ICs and no teams yet. And mm. I did a, a little bit of a listening tour and asked as we grow and as we start to form teams, what do you most want to stay the same and what do you most want to change? And without any prompt at all, 100% of people said that they wanted us to maintain our culture of kindness. And I think people had had to be very kind and helpful to each other because everyone was their own. It was like a bus factor of a half for everything. And, and people really needed to support each other to get anything done. Um, and there's a real risk as we go into teams that we could start to lose some of that. So when we were redoing our comp strategy um, at the beginning of the year, part of what we thought about is not putting in place a, a promotion system that rewards people for their individual work. Hmm. Um, and instead, in fact, the way we have set up promotions is that it's purely um, based on time. You you come in, we level you based on years of relevant experience when you join, and you get more relevant experience at daily and grow into the next level by doing more work with us. But one of the things, one of the effects that we hope to have in that is that it doesn't provide an incentive for people to stop helping each other, that it, we, you're not, um, you're career trajectory at daily isn't based on star behavior or things that leave other people behind we kind of have to work we all have to work together that is very interesting that's it's it's almost more like a union in that case that that... (laughs) yeah that's interesting (laughs) i'm guessing that was perhaps intentional i don't know maybe it's but it is a it it definitely selects for certain kinds of folks which is interesting yeah, right. And so we've we've written about it publicly mm-hmm. and almost everybody who interviews with us mentions it. And it does it's it's actually fantastic because it filters out people who would find this to be a completely unappealing structure. Mm-hmm. And lots of people do legitimately feel like if they do outstanding work, they want to be rewarded for that quickly with pay and promotion, and that's not how we're structured. But lots of people see it and are like, "Wow, great. I don't have to worry about this. I'm not going to be arbitrarily um, pitted against my colleagues or arbitrarily assessed and things, I can just mm-hmm. 
get paid reasonably and do my work and serve our customers. And that's super appealing. So it's a good, it's a good example, both of sort of a comp strategy and also how we think about that fitting into our larger cultural values. It is, it is interesting. It, it may also um, select for people with more experience. <laughs> hundred percent it does. It, Which, no question. Again, I, and we have, I've had this conversation so many times with, with other design leaders specifically, but also engineering leaders that like years of experience doesn't necessarily translate exactly to how good you are, but also, I mean, somebody with 10 years of experience is very different than somebody with one year of experience. Like they, unless, unless something very strange happened in those 10 years. like like it is it is different so but it it is interesting because then you get to just manage based on improving their ability to do the things that they do but without worrying about competition and pitting people against each other or people taking credit for other people's work there's no incentive there for that which is uh right Exactly. It's it's an interesting approach. Yeah. 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 And I think you've hit on two important aspects of it. It does filter for more experienced people, which was intentional on our part at this stage in our Mm -hmm. growth. Later on, when we have more structure to support people who are earlier in their careers, we may rethink this a little bit. But right now, we're actually trying to hire more senior people. So it's a fit for us that way. Um, And I forget the other thing I was going to say. So never mind. (laughs) I had the one thing. Well, the, 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 I think the not competing with each other is interesting. I do, oh, I do yeah. see sometimes um, in uh, not not where I currently am, but I have heard horror stories about comp and uh, managing or promotion panels that pit people against one another. I remember eight million years ago, I worked at a, a place um, that did the uh, the the workplace like they would just fire the lowest earning 10 per, or the, the, the lowest yeah, performing yeah. 10%, which just caused people to like claw at each other. Even the people at the mm-hmm. top, right. Weren't didn't, nobody felt safe ever. And yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's part of what we were trying to, to avoid. And also the amount of time that managers have to spend, like creating promotion packets and arguing with each other and, trying to jockey for the like limited number of promotion spots. It's all time that you could be spending on customer facing work. And at our stage, we don't have time for anything but customer facing work. There may be a future when we want to have clawed each other about this stuff, but that's not where we are now. Um, (laughs) And it may be that we are, you know, never there, but it's a really nice break from having to spend any time on the stuff that tends to undermine the relationships in the company in the first place. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did remember the other thing I was going to say about age, which is, I think people often um, uh, sort of make the mistake of thinking that because we are more likely to attract more senior people, we're more likely to make the mistake of hiring somebody who's senior, but not very good over somebody who's junior and great. But we don't base our hiring decisions on how much experience somebody has. We base our leveling decisions on that. We have a whole different rubric for how we um, assess people. That's interesting. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And this brings up something, because I was about to ask you the question, what is the hardest thing about hiring? And I think this, I think this relates to what you're about to say. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have a little insight into this. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think the hardest thing about hiring, and also this is sort of the hardest thing about getting hired in some ways, is figuring out if somebody's a good fit for the role that you have open. You know, it like notoriously and like deep research backs that interviewing is broken in all ways, that it does is not a good predictor. Almost all the facets of interviewing, talking to people and questions and all the kinds of questions and take homes and whiteboarding and all of it is almost all a bad predictor of whether somebody is going to be good for the job. And sometimes it's a bad predictor in that you screen out people who would be good. And sometimes it's a bad predictor in that you hire people who are bad. Both things happen. But actually being able to assess people is quite difficult. And it's hard say, on the other side to be assessed like accurately. <laughs> I was going to say, sometimes it's, sometimes it's difficult just in that it causes tremendous trauma to everybody involved. A hundred percent. Totally. I mean, there is a part of me that's like, well, if we did it by lottery, (laughs) I actually, I I say that. And I really have felt good about many hires I've made over the years that have turned out beautifully, of course. So, and lottery would not have necessarily gotten me those colleagues. Um, But it is true that there can be a real cost to a very imperfect process. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is a hundred percent true. And it is interesting because like that, I'm glad that you said that, you know, we don't just hire people because they've got, you know, 10 or 20 years of experience or whatever, because I mean, sometimes we're the worst, um, (laughs) especially for any particular role. Um, but, uh, uh, I, I know that on some of these podcasts, I'm going to get into the, like how to actually assess people. And, um, for some, here's the weirdest thing for me. Engineers and designers, I think, are both we we actually have, and I've I've of course done both roles, right? Um, not as well, one of them not as well as the other. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, um, I've done both roles, and I will say, it is we are asked to present so much more evidence of what we've done than for example, I don't know, product or, um, you know, even maybe even sometimes marketing, like, you know, it's, I, we're often asked, you know, we've got portfolio reviews, we've got whiteboard tests. Sometimes we have take home tests. Sometimes, you know, like there's the coding interview, like there's, you know, looking at your, your open source projects on engineer, you know, for engineers, there's like all this extra stuff and it's still almost impossible to tell if somebody's going to actually be able to do the work when they get in. I don't. Yeah. So hard. It's interesting. Like one of the things that we do at daily is we have a paid take home (sighs) for all of our roles and we'll develop a new take home for new roles, but it takes a minute to calibrate the, the take homes. Mm -hmm. And so we, we pay the first people who do it a little more and they can give us feedback and we assume it's going to be a little rocky. But sometimes in that early, the early stages of a, a new take home, we'll have somebody who we can't tell, we don't get very good signal from it. We can't tell if it's because our take home isn't good yet or because actually they're not a good fit. Right. And it takes a while to get to a place where the take home might actually give good signal. And then we're sort of, then there's a real quandary in what to do in those situations. It's tricky too, especially on the, I don't know about on the engineering side as much, but on the design side, it's very hard because a lot of times those design take home tests are very much designed. I mean, they sort of have to be like, it's, it's go do this thing in like eight hours or, I mean, if you're paying it, it could be a little mm-hmm. bit longer, but you know, people have jobs and stuff. Yeah. But like go, go, go design this whole thing in eight hours. And it's like, well, that's not actually how we design things. 
So I will yeah. personally not learn anything from seeing how somebody designed something in eight hours, um, which is tricky because otherwise, you know, you've got people who like, I, I like portfolio reviews a lot so that to see if they can speak to their portfolio, but then every, every once in a while you get somebody who's just real good at talking and maybe not so good at actually yeah. the doing of the work, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right. I mean, similarly, take homes, you can get someone who's good at the take home, but is not particularly good in the form of engineering that we do in the longer <laughs> over time, or is not a great teammate, but they interview beautifully. You know, there's lots of ways it can go wrong. Yeah, it's that's awful. Do you uh, do you have any, any anything weird ever happen? Any great stories? Any any bizarre situations as a candidate or or as a a hiring manager i was like i was like hearing if somebody has had something really strange happen i like everybody who's ever interviewed me has had something strange happen i'll just say that yeah right (laughs) i mean i did once interview at unnamed big co that flew me to their headquarters for like a day of interviews and um, it was supposed to start with the VP of the department at the time. And I knew things were a little off the rails when he seemed to have forgotten that I was going to be there um, and showed up a little bit, showed up like super late and, and, and like admitted to not knowing I was going to be there. But it, it went worse from there in all ways like it was there were a bunch of case interviews that they had given me the wrong information for and half of it was over video even though i was in the office with somebody who the video kept cutting out the whole thing was just terrible and i got i left being like well i definitely didn't get the job and i'm not sure i would want to work there and then a couple of weeks later i learned that the guy who was the hiring manager had been fired from the whole company for harassment reasons and the whole department was in chaos and i was like oh right that tracks (laughs) Um, it's weird because i will say this having having occasionally been in organizations maybe that um where our our hiring process is not perfect it's not always the smoothest i always like to say i always sort of like to say you know i especially like right now you know i apologize for you know your experience with the recruiters they're very tired they're trying their best it's it's kind of chaos um please don't let that reflect on the actual team um and then there's that story where oh no that that's just that was a all those red flags waving yeah wasn't enough should have been a matador's cape hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. <laughs> right. There just aren't enough red flags in the world for that situation. Um, that is a but I, I do have a little bit of a, a story on the other side. That's it's a really good one. And I think illuminates something important, which is even though we can't get good signal from the average interview, we can put a lot of effort into making sure the candidates have a good experience. Like that's mm-hmm. probably the most important thing we can do for many reasons. If we want them to join, we want them to have a good experience. Even if we don't make them an offer, we want them to leave and tell their friends, this seemed like a good place. We may want to connect with them down the road. There are many, many reasons why we really want candidates to have a good experience. And that happens in all these different ways. Um, and I have a kind of a funny story about that. Um, at a previous company when I was interviewing in person in their offices, I had come with a, a disposable coffee, but in a metal, with a metal straw that I had brought. 
And at one point I, I left the coffee in the interview room when I went to use the bathroom. When I came back, it was gone. The whole thing was gone. <laughs> and um, I asked if anyone had seen what had happened to my coffee and it had just been thrown away. Like somebody had come to clean the room and I was like, oh, that's too bad. And during that segment of interviews, the recruiter went out and bought me a package of metal straws. That's Yeah. And I will never forget her. And I hope I get a chance to work with her again. Um, And I wound up taking the job and it wasn't because of the metal straws, but it really told me something about how the company thought about candidates and the experience that they wanted us to have. And that she was sort of like empowered to do that and got right on it. And it became a little bit of a joke rather than like, oh, we're so sorry. That sucks. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, too too bad for you and your metal straws. Um, It is, it is interesting. I, I think that matters a ton, especially, you know, getting back to the original topic of just the the small companies or the, the companies that can't pay as much, just making people feel respected and, or I don't even want to say feel respected, making sure that people understand that they are respected and that um, they will continue to be respected at work. And that that means that you're not going to leave them hanging for three months or whatever during the process, or you're not going to just drop them or ghost them, or you're going to, you know, follow up promptly and get them an offer and that their time has value. Like those things matter. Like if they've been waiting on a manga for six weeks because they couldn't bother to get around to giving you an offer and you come in with a good offer, even though they know they might get twice as much someplace else, a lot of people kind of go, you know what? This place is great. This is enough. This is what I want. Yeah, that's so true. And I think, you know, often we have to move quickly because we're in a competitive situation. Um, But it does really reflect how we think about candidates. I say that with like a little bit of hesitation because I have in my inbox two people that I have not followed up with in a timely manner for reasons, but it's on me, not on them. And it feels bad. But for the most part, I think that is hugely important being um, being good communicators ourselves, being on getting ahead of telling people what's happening, being responsive when they send thank you notes and um, making sure that we're staying connected to them so they don't wonder what's happening because it's so hard to be on the other side of it. Yeah, it really is. And I, I will say this, I, I'm, I'm sure that they, they're in your inbox. I'm sure that you feel like you haven't, I mean, I, I can just tell you some of the stories that I've heard from people. I guarantee you it's not the level of um, miscommunication that I have seen at <laughs> I, you, you have not, those, those emails have not been in your inbox for as long as they have been in um, some of the recruiters I've talked to. <laughs> just going to throw that out there. Anyway, um, that is all the time that we have for today. Um, I just want to thank Sarah Milstein uh, for joining us. I also want to thank all of you out there listening. And I want to wish you all the best of luck with your own search, whether it's for a new job or a new employee. I am rooting for you. <laughs>